welcome everybody to another edition nwczradio.com channel one's down the rabbit hole this is the midweek edition i'm big d welcome along for those of you who are brand new welcome to our podcast we appreciate the fact that you tune in listen download whatever it is however you're getting this podcast and however you are receiving it we do appreciate it we of course appreciate the stations that carry us the podcast platforms that keep us and you for being there and being part of our little family. As always, you can reach out to us at down the RH at protonmail.com, down the RH at protonmail.com. We always enjoy hearing from you. And that's where we start today. I had a show planned and got an email from a listener who was asking about Albert Pike and his prediction of the first, second, and the coming Third World War. And I thought, yeah, this would be a great topic for today. I have done a lot of research on this in the past, so I did some brush-up work on it. And there's a lot of talk in the news today. If you're listening to the national and international news about World War III, you have the situation with Russia and Ukraine, of course, You have a lot of European countries and America, Canada, pouring money into one side of it. You have China lurking, talking about going after Taiwan. And there seems to be some instability in the world. You have the United Nations talking about accepting this country, not accepting other countries except for certain conditions. Turkey and Egypt, and all these, there's a lot of strange players that are suddenly surfacing. And so geopolitics are at the forefront. A lot of people are worried that we are indeed heading into World War III. So let's look into, for the first half of the show or so, because I have a lot of news articles and things I'd like to share with you that are relevant to things that we talk about here on this edition of the midweek, the one that I do. But I think there's a lot of lessons involved in this supposed letter that Albert Pike wrote, sort of predicting World War I, World War II, and the coming World War III. Let's set the stage as in all stories, we're going we're to get to know the characters, and then we're going to look at the text of this letter, and then we're going to look into the legitimacy of it, whether it actually pans out. And of course, I'm going to give all sides of it, and you can look it up yourself, you can do some digging yourself, you can believe what you want, you can confirm it, you can deny it, it's completely up to you. So if you go back to our series on the Masons, Albert Pike, of course, came up a lot, because Albert Pike was basically the grandmaster of the Masons here in the United States. And he wrote a very important book called Morals and Dogma. It's sort of the doctrine of the U.S. branch of the Masons. He is quite an interesting character. So let's do a little digging into Albert Pike, and we'll go from there. So Albert Pike was born December 29th, 1809 in Boston. He was the oldest of six children, born to Benjamin and Sarah Andrews Pike. He studied at Harvard, 
and he was a brigadier general in the Confederate Army. After the Civil War, he was found guilty of treason, and he was jailed. He was later pardoned by Andrew Johnson on April 26, 1866. Andrew Johnson, also a Freemason. On June 20th, 1867, the Scottish Rite officials conferred upon Johnson the 32nd Freemasonry degree, and he was, later went to Boston to dedicate a Masonic temple. There were some <laughs> backroom Masonic deals going on there. By all accounts, Pike was very, very smart, and some claim that he was actually on a genius level. According to some, said he was able to read and write in 16 different languages, I've never seen a list of those languages. I've only seen that statement several different times in several different articles and several different books about Albert Pike. No one's ever broken it down. I will say he has been widely accused of plagiarism. There are lots of examples in his writings of where he did lift things from other writers. At different stages of his life, he was considered a poet a philosopher, a frontiersman, a soldier, a humanitarian, and a philanthropist. He was one of the founding fathers and head of the ancient Scottish Rite of Freemasonry. He was the grand commander of the North American Freemasonry from 1859 until his death in 1891. Also in 1869, he was the top leader of the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. He was also the grandmaster of a group known as the Order of Palladium, or also known as the Sovereign Council of Wisdom, which had been founded in Paris in 1737. This Palladium had been brought to Greece from Egypt in the 5th century. It was, according to some, this was an underground cult that brought a lot of Eastern mysticism, some claimed Satanism, into the inner circle of the Masonic Lodges. In 1801, an individual named Isaac Long brought a statue of Baphomet to Charleston, South Carolina, where he helped to establish the ancient and accepted Scottish Rite. Long apparently chose Charleston because it was geographically located on the 33rd parallel of latitude, and this council is considered to be the Mother Supreme Council of all Masonic Lodges of the world. Pike was Long's successor, and he changed the name of the order to the new and reformed Palladium Rite, or Reformed Palladium, and the order contained two degrees, Adelph, or Brothers, and Companion of Ulysses, or Companion of Penelope. Pike's right-hand man was a guy named Walder, who was from Switzerland. He was a former Lutheran minister, Masonic leader, spiritualist. Pike also worked closely with Giuseppe Mazzini of Italy, who was a 33rd degree Mason, who became head of the Illuminati in 1834 and also founded the Mafia in 1860. Together with Mazzini, Lord Henry Palmerson of England and Otto von Bismarck from Germany and Albert Pike, they intended to use the Palladian Rite to create an umbrella group that would tie all Masonic groups together. Albert Pike died on April 2nd, 1891, and was buried in Oak Hill Cemetery, although I've also read that his corpse lies currently at the headquarters of the Council of the 33rd Degree of Scottish Rite Freemasonry 
in Washington, D.C., so there's some discrepancy there as well. So that's Albert Pike sort of in a nutshell. The second person in our story is this Giuseppe Manzini. Giuseppe Manzini was born in 1805. He died in 1872. He was a 33rd degree Freemason. He was a British intelligence agent, a revolutionary terrorist, and a founder of Young Europe, Young Italy, and those were a network of revolutionary groups designed to cause chaos around the world, which eventually grew to include Young America, Young Russia, Young Bosnia, Young Turks, and the Benai Brit. He also wrote some books. One of them titled The Duties of Man, resides at the Great Lodge of the Great East of Italy, and was given to the Grand Master. Manzini was under the belief that Freemasonry was this powerful lever and he could use it to revolutionize the world. Now, after Adam Weishaupt, who was the founder of the Illuminati, and this is the official Bavarian Illuminati group, died on November 18, 1830, Mazzini was appointed head of the organization in 1934. He attended Genoa University and he became a 33rd degree Mason and joined a secret organization known as the Carbonari. According to the Carbonari, one of their statements from 1818, quote, our final aim is that of Voltaire and of the French Revolution, the complete annihilation of Catholicism and ultimately all Christianity. So he was very political. He was a mover and a shaker. He was very smart. And he was part of several different secret societies. In 1831, he was exiled to France, where he founded the Young Societies Movement. That was the Young Italy and then Young England. And these groups were all, at one point, supposed to become united to achieve unification through force. That was their goal. They were going to take over the world. According to one of the most authoritative biographers on Manzini, Dennis Max Smith, he says that Manzini, who became known as the, quote, evil genius of Italy, tried to carry on the activities of the Illuminati through the Alta Vendita Lodge, the highest lodge of the Carbonari. From 1814 to 1848, the group known as the Hot Vente Romaine led the activities of most of Europe's secret societies. According to him, these young Italy gangs forced Pope Pius IX to flee Rome, Manzini was installed with British backing as one of the Papal States dictators from March to June 1849. And for the next three decades, the prime ministers of Italy would be basically Manzini's British agents. So how does this Manzini, who's over in Europe, bouncing around England and Italy, in and out of jail and in and out of hiding, running secret societies, cross paths with Albert Pike, who's over in America, basically doing the same thing. Well, it was through the 33rd degree Mason, and Manzini became the founder of the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry in Italy. They apparently began writing letters back and forth, corresponding. Some believe they were plotting. Some believe they were working out logistics to connect the two groups in a more unified way. And this is where we get to the point where this letter from Albert Pike to Manzini supposedly took place. It's been reported that 
Pike sent Manzini a letter that was dated August 15th, 1871. And in this letter, it is claimed that Pike had a vision, that something came to him, he had a vision, and he penned it down, and he was sharing it with Manzini so that they could take advantage of it, prepare for it, and to orchestrate it. This is how, supposedly, Pike saw things breaking going forward in order to install this new world order that the Freemasons, especially the Scottish Rite, and the Illuminati, that they were all working towards. In the first part of this letter, it's claimed that World War I was basically planned to overthrow the czars in Russia and make Russia a communist stronghold. Well, we know that this happened. World War II was sparked as a catalyst to destroy Nazism so communism could take over and for a sovereign state of Israel to be set up in Palestine. So that was the goal of World War II to destroy Nazism, install communism, and set up Israel as a state. Seems very odd, but that is what happened. And according to the predictions of the Third Global War, according to Pike, it's going to be fought between the West, or the Christian side of the world, and the leaders of Islam. So it's going to be a Christian-Islamic war. Some quotes from the letter, as far as the First World War, Pike is alleged to have written, quote, The First World War must be brought about in order to permit the Illuminati to overthrow the power of the czars in Russia and of making that country a fortress of atheistic communism. The divergence is caused by the agents, and he called it the agent tours, of the Illuminati between the British and Germanic empires will be used to foment this war. At the end of the war, communism will be built and used in order to destroy the other governments and in order to weaken the religions. As far as the second war goes, quote, the second war must be fomented by taking advantage of the differences between the fascist and the political Zionist. This war must be brought about so that Nazism is destroyed and that the political Zionism be strong enough to institute a sovereign state of Israel in Palestine. Quote, during the Second World War, international communism must become strong enough in order to balance Christendom, which would be then restrained and held in check until the time when we would need it for the final social cataclysm, which would be World War III. Quote, the Third World War must be fomented by taking advantage of the differences caused by the agent tour of the Illuminati between the political Zionist and the leaders of the Islamic world. The war must be conducted in such a way that Islam and political Zionism mutually destroy each other. So basically they're setting up a war between Islam and the Jewish state, which will be supported by the Christian state. And so you're going to have World War III basically between those who believe in God from a Jewish slash Christian perspective and those who believe in God from the Muslim Arabic perspective. 
He says, we shall unleash the nihilist and the atheist, and we shall provoke a formidable social cataclysm, which in all its horrors will show clearly to the nations the effect of absolute atheism, origin of savagery, and the most bloody turmoil. Quote, then everywhere the citizens obliged to defend themselves against the world minority of revolutionaries will exterminate those destroyers of civilization and the multitude, disillusioned with Christianity, whose deistic spirits will from that moment be without compass or direction, anxious for an ideal, but without knowing where to render its adoration, will receive the true light through the universal manifestation of the pure doctrine of Lucifer, brought finally out in public view. This manifestation will result from the general reactionary movement, which will follow the destruction of Christianity and atheism, both conquered and exterminated at the same time. This is what supposedly Albert Pike wrote in this long letter to Giuseppe Manzini in 1871. So let's look at the history of this letter. There are some things that are interesting, things that are disturbing, and I think we're going to find that there are more questions than answers regarding this letter. There are many articles and many blogs, many videos and so forth that have been made about this letter. And according to everything I've seen, it is claimed that it was once shown at the British Museum's library that it was mysteriously removed in the 1970s, never to be seen again. It apparently belongs to the British Museum and that the British Museum, the British Library, put it out on display. I have never seen a photograph of it. I have yet to run across anybody who claims that they saw it. Nobody seems to know where these dates came from. Both the British Museum and the British Library state that there's no record of the letter being in the establishment's possession ever. I also went to a information, freedom of information request to the British Library. This is by an individual named Alexander Marazio. This is from June 2nd, 2020. He wrote, Dear British Library, could you please confirm if the British Museum holds in its possession archives a letter from General Albert Pike to Italian politician Giuseppe Mazzini dated 15th August 1871, and if so, has it ever been on display at the British Library? Yours faithfully, Alexander Marizio. And they wrote back. They said, Dear Alexander, thanks for your email. Please find attached our response to your Freedom of Information Request 2042. Kind regards, Stephanie Hughes. So this is request 2042. We have considered your request, and the British Library, and prior to that, the British Museum, has never owned or seen the document in question, and therefore it has never been on display with either organization. If you're unhappy with our response to your request and wish to make a complaint or request a review of our decision, you should write to, and then there's the chief executive and an address. Please note, complaints and requests for internal review received more than two months after the initial decision will not be handled. So you've got to get right on it. 
If you are not content with the outcome of the internal review, you may appeal directly to the information commissioner at the address given below. You should do this within two months of our final decision. There is no charge for making the appeal. And it tells where you can send that letter as well. It gives her phone number, her website. Her name is Stephanie Hughes from the British Library, 96 Euston Road in London. So they're claiming, based on a FOIA, Freedom of Information Act, they've never seen it. They don't have it. It's never been on display. So I did a little digging as to what are some of the theories as to where this letter came from. How did it get to be this letter that is so widely spoken of as Albert Pike predicting World War I, World War II, and in the future, World War III? How did this happen? Where, where did this start? Where did it come from? And is it actually leading to World War III and something that he would have foreseen. So there is some cause for concern just in the text of the letter. Let's start there. According to this text in the letter, he claims that the First World War must be brought about in order to permit the Illuminati to overthrow the power of the Tsars in Russia and of making that country a fortress of atheistic communism. So he uses the word communism. Now, probably, he maybe could have used that word as it was basically brought into public view in the 40s by Marx and Engels, and that was before they published the Communist Manifesto. But the whole roots of the Russian Revolution didn't even form until the 1890s, which was 20 years after the letter was allegedly written, and... Pike was basically dying at that point. And according to this article, I thought this was an interesting observation. The reader must question whether Pike could have been privy to the outcome of the Russian workers' movement before those workers themselves had ever heard of Marx or formed the movement to oppose their masters. And if Pike was, how could he have had such foresight to suggest a world war could simply be brought about and that it could be controlled in such a manner to accomplish the goals. It's not only highly unlikely, but there's nothing of substance to suggest that it actually happened. No testimony from anybody else associated with Pike, no other correspondence or writings from Pike himself, nothing else he wrote about or anybody around him ever alleged that this letter existed. Also used in this letter were terms like fascism, Nazism, and Zionism. And none of these terms were ever used in Pike's lifetime. If you look it up, Zionism was first coined around the 1890s by Nathan Birnbaum, and it didn't become part of public vernacular for years later. There's no record of Pike knowing or meeting Birnbaum or having any connection with any kind of Zionist movement. And the roots of fascism were barely in their infancy during Pike's final years here on earth and they weren't even used in public until the 20s when Mussolini took position Nazism didn't even start as a term until the 30s which was the rise of the German National Socialist Party so obviously Pike didn't know these terms now the flip side of that is people say well this was a vision 
and he had some sort of um, he he did claim to have some sort of a guiding being or guiding light who would come and counsel him. Those are the two sides to that coin. There is a website called threeworldwars.com, and this website is all about this. If you really want to go into a deep dive, they talk about every aspect of this entire thing. But even on their website, it does actually state that, quote, no conclusive proof exists to show that this letter was ever written. So even they have to admit on there, there's no proof that this letter exists, which is problematic. However, it does suggest that there are extracts from it. Excerpts are found in, quote, this book, Satan, the Prince of This World, by William Guy Carr. So I looked that up. And there's only one section in this book that appears maybe to fit the bill. And this is on page 29, and it's the final paragraph. It says, quote, We shall unleash the nihilist and atheist, and we shall provoke a formidable social cataclysm, which in all its horror will show clearly to the nations, people of different nationalities, the effect of absolute atheism, origin of savagery, and of the most bloody turmoil. Now, I have read William Carr. In fact, there's a book of his, Pawns in the Game, which I think is quite good. I don't think it's 100% correct, but I think he's correct on a lot of things. He's, uh, he's passed away now, but yeah, William Guy Carr wrote a book called Pawns in the Game. It was in 1956 where he does talk about this letter, and he claims to be quoting from it. However, he doesn't direct quote. He does a synopsis. For, for example, this is how Carr begins his paragraph on the First World War. He says, quote, Pike's plan was as simple as it has proved effective. He required that communism, Nazism, political Zionism, and other international movements be organized and used to foment the three global wars and three major revolutions. The First World War was to be fought to enable the Illuminati to overthrow the powers of the Tsars of Russia. So in Carr's book, that doesn't appear in quotations. It's not copied from, quote, the letter. It's Carr's interpretation of this letter. Carr is also one of the ones who claims that this letter was cataloged at the British Museum. But then he backtracked later. He wrote a book called Satan, Prince of This World. And this is what he said. The keeper of manuscripts recently informed the author that this letter is not cataloged in the British Museum Library. And it seems strange that a man of Cardinal Rodriguez's knowledge should have said that it was in 1925. So who's this Cardinal Rodriguez? Well, Cardinal Rodriguez was a cardinal of the Catholic Church in Chile. And he wrote a book called The Mystery of Freemasonry Unveiled. It was published in 1925. So I did some digging around on that. And according to Cardinal Rodriguez, he also references this letter but there's no direct quotes from the letter. And this is what Rodriguez writes on pages 115 and 16. The other indication of the participation of masonry in the revolution and the present upheaval in Russia is a letter in the 
Le Diable, attributed to Albert Pike, sovereign pontiff of universal masonry, assisted by ten ancients of the Grand Lodge of the Supreme Orient of Charleston, to the very illustrious Joseph Mazzini, dated August 15, 1871. What I have said of the document previously mentioned, the protocols I say of this one, authentic or not. The letter has been published long enough before the events, not to be an invention, accommodated post factum. Its publication is cataloged in the British Museum of London, and the plan attributed to Pike is also in part of the Palaces O Margiota, page 186, published in 1895. So even in there, Rodriguez says, I don't, I don't know if it's real or authentic or not. It doesn't really matter. And he's the one who claimed that it's cataloged in the British Museum. This Cardinal Rodriguez wrote a few other books where he mentions it, but he, again, there's no conclusive proof that he ever saw it. He, he never once says he saw the letter. He just references the letter. So, so far, we have everybody just referencing this letter. Nobody has actually seen it. The last mention of it was in 1986 by an individual who wrote on conspiracyarchive.com. They tracked down this text. It says, quote, at the beginning of August 1871, that is to say less than a year after the establishment of the Palladium Supreme Right, the, quote, Learned Luciferian pontiff Albert Pike received an important letter from Manzini, the political action leader for universal Freemasonry, invited the supreme dogmatic leader of the sect to draw up a clear plan with a view toward the destruction of Roman Catholicism. And of course, in that, the theme is how to destroy Catholicism. No mention of World Wars One, Two, or Three. And this is kind of basically the historical references of this letter. In fact, the earliest book that makes reference to this letter by Pike is Le Diable, and I can't pronounce the rest of it. It's a book by somebody named Dr. Batali, B-A-T-A-I-L-L-E. Well, that name is the pseudonym of a self-professed hoaxer from the 1890s whose name was Leo Taxel. And Leo Taxel was basically like the troll of his day. He was a prankster, he was a hoaxer, and he liked to play two sides against each other and sit back and laugh about it. Th that's what he said. Th in fact, here's what he had to say in 1906 in National Magazine. The public made me what I am, the arch liar of the period, confessed Taxel, for when I first commenced to write against the Masons, my object was amusement pure and simple. The crimes I laid at their door were so grotesque, so impossible, so widely exaggerated, I thought everybody would see the joke and give me credit for originating a new line of humor. But my readers wouldn't have it, so they accepted my fables as gospel truth. And the more I lied for the purpose of showing that I lied, the more convinced they became that I was a paragon of veracity. Then it dawned upon me that there was lots of money in being a Munchausen of the right kind, and for 12 years I gave it to them hot and strong, but never too hot. When indicting such slush as the story of the devil snake who wrote prophecies on Diana's back with the end of his tail, I sometimes said to myself, quote, hold on, 
You're going too far. But I didn't. My readers even took kindly to the yarn of the devil, who in order to marry a mason transformed himself into a crocodile and despite the masquerade played the piano wonderfully well. One day when I lectured at Lilly, I told my audience that I had just had an apparition of Nautilus, the most daring affront on human credulity I had so far risked. But my hearers never turned a hair. Hear ye, the doctor has seen Nautilus, they said with admiring glances. Of course, no one had a clear idea of who Nautilus was, and I didn't myself, but they assumed that he was the devil. Ah, the jolly evenings I spent with my fellow authors hatching out new plots, new unheard of perversions of truth and logic, each trying to outdo the other in organized mystification. I thought I would kill myself laughing at some of the things proposed, but everything went and there is no limit to human stupidity. That's according to Leo Taxel, National Magazine, 1906. So there's a lot of problems here. It reminds me of the elders of Zion. If you're not familiar with that, the elders of Zion was supposedly this text, similar thing, text that was written by a Jewish cabal in order to take over the world. It was completely fake and manipulated and actually used by the Nazis as one of the ways to exterminate the Jews. So we have a lot of things going on here with this letter and the predictions of World War I, II, and III. There's not a whole lot of historical reference of it. Nobody's ever seen it that I can find. It's uncanny that of what is purported to be said about World War I and World War II, although the language is problematic. And I think the biggest problem is, is this letter has never been seen. I scoured the Internet. I looked at everything I could. I looked on the archives of the British Museum and the library, and all I found was this FOIA request which, of course, they could lie about. There's no doubt about that. But I look at this as something that is very problematic to believe as something that is credible. I think it's a fun exercise. I think it's interesting. I think it's something that maybe at some point, if World War III should happen and it plays out like that, people will look back and go, hmm, Maybe it did happen. Maybe that was real. I don't doubt that Albert Pike and Mazzini wrote back and forth. I don't doubt that due to them being in the Scottish Rite of the Masonic Temple and being 33rd degree Masons, being involved in the Illuminati, that they weren't pulling some strings or were puppets or the boots on the ground for the head of the Illuminati. I don't doubt any of that stuff. I can't honestly say that this is real. And so I think it falls into one of these sort of uncomfortable zones of you may run across somebody who's bought fully into this and they are all on board that, yes, this is true, it is real, it exists. Because what it's going to come down to is whether you believe it or not. Do you have faith that it's real? Or do you see where there are problems with it 
And it could have been part of a big hoax that got out of control, just like the elders of Zion. So those are my thoughts on Albert Pike's Three World Wars. If you've never heard about it, now you're hearing about it for the first time. And do your due diligence. Go check it out. Go look. Maybe I missed something. Maybe there's some things I'm missing. I saw one guy who really, really broke it down into like extreme detail. And I could just say I, I read about half of it, and I could puncture holes in almost everything he was writing. And he definitely came at it from a certain bent and angle. I thought it was quite ugly. So I think it's one of those things that if you have a narrative that you're trying to get out there, you have a preconceived notion, and it fits it, it's easy to believe. Me, I'm a realist. Try to be. Try to look at all sides of it, all angles of it, what it is, who put it out there, what are the criticisms against it, does it add up, where does it stack up, how does it survive the test of scrutiny. And you'll have to do the same. So thank you for that suggestion. I thought that was interesting. It's been a long time since I've thought about that. I do like William Carr, his book Pawns in the Game is a wonderful book, no doubt. And he could have been wrong on this. Nobody's perfect and nobody gets everything right. So, all right, let's get into some of the news stories that I have piling up over here that I think you'll find interesting and definitely eye-opening. The first one comes to us from The Federalist and this is dated May 30th, 2023. To address the loneliness epidemic, the feds want to control your town and your friends. The project is potentially so massive in scope, it's not an overstatement to say it threatens to regulate our freedom of association in shocking ways. And what is this thing? It's an 81-page document, and it's six government-directed pillars of action to address the health hazards of social isolation. It's titled, Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation. What they're wanting to do is basically report on each other, use 15-minute cities. They want to enact pro-connection public policies everywhere. Quote, government has a responsibility to use its authority to monitor and mitigate the public health harm caused by policies, products, and services that drive social disconnection. It requires establishing cross-departmental leadership to develop and oversee an overarching social connection strategy. Diversity, equity, and inclusion and accessibility are critical components of any such strategy. They want to mobilize the health sector and give them all sort of surveillance and intervention. It says that healthcare workers will be trained to track cases of what the government views as social connection and disconnection. And then report this stuff to federal bureaucracy, basically require that you take certain medications. Also, we must learn more by requiring data transparency from technology companies. Development of pro-connection technologies with the goal of creating, quote, safe environments and safeguarding the well-being of users. It all sounds great, but the problem is what they want to do is they want this big, huge bureaucracy to watch you, to follow you, to track you, to see how, what your mental state is, what your physical state is, whether you're lonely, whether you're not, and then they're going to rush in and they're going to correct the situation based on their assessment. 
This come to us from Oslo from the AFP. This was July 6, 2023. Headline, 10 billion global population, quote, unsustainable. U.S. Special Climate Envoy John Kerry told AFP that the world's population will not be tenable in 2050 when it is projected to hit nearly 10 billion. He says, I don't think it's sustainably personally. We need to figure out how we're going to deal with the issue of sustainability and the number of people we're trying to take care of on the planet. So I've been to a number of African countries where they're very proud of their increased birth rate, but the fact is it's unsustainable for life today, let alone when you add the future numbers. He did say, I'm not recommending the population go down. I think we have the life we have on planet. We have to respect it, and we can do better than we're doing now. But they're laying the foundation, the groundwork, for this idea to get out there. That we can't have all these people, and what are we going to do about it? And one of the things they can do about it is what's going on up in Canada. This is from CBC News, June 7th, 2023. Medically assisted deaths could save millions in healthcare spending, according to a report. Canada is on track for another record-busting year of euthanasia deaths with a 35% jump to some 13,500 state-sanctioned suicides in 2022. And supposedly, they're wanting more right now in 2023. In some provinces, it's the third biggest cause of death is euthanasia. It's insane. Also, we have the WHO, the World Health Organization, recently announcing the adoption of the global health passports for limiting international travel for the unvaccinated. This is brand new. This is what they are wanting for the future, and they're adopting it. Now, whether your country sign on to it or not, that's going to be up to your country, and you're going to have to fight back on that in your individual country. But this is what's happening. And speaking of 2050, which, of course, we know is one of the globalist markers, one of the dates that they are marking everything towards, 2050 is this goal marker to where they want a lot of things done. And according to the World Economic Forum, they're calling for vastly restricted car ownership by 2050. World Economic Forum plans to forcibly reduce the number of personal vehicles globally from 1.45 billion to only 500 million by the year 2050. And what they want to do, of course, is part of the 15-minute city thing. They want to have ride share. They want car share. They want all these different things. And of course, all of this is to reduce carbon footprint and economic savings, human welfare and the earth, the environment and all this stuff. The goal is to reduce pollution and harmonize the relationship between people and the planet. According to them, today's passenger vehicles cause over half of urban air pollution, which has led to an estimated 1.8 million excess deaths in 2019. Of course, they can't prove any of these numbers and nearly 2 million cases of asthma in children. Electrifying transport would deliver cleaner, healthier air for city dwellers. Additionally, fewer vehicles will reduce congestion and decrease the need for expensive motorways, parking, and maintenance. Estimated cost saving of embracing this SEAM strategy to the world economy could total $5 trillion by the year 2050. 
So they want to limit traffic and have all these regulations and move you out of your car. We've been talking about this. I've been doubted by so many people. But there it is. They're calling for it again. I thought this was interesting. This is from June 14th, 2023. Our good friend Yuval Noah Harai, who's been talking a lot about AI here lately, claims that he's excited because AI can rewrite the Bible and create, quote, religions that are actually correct. So he's looking forward to getting AI to rewrite a new Bible. He says, it's the first technology ever that can create new ideas. You know, the printing press, radio, television, they broadcast. They spread the ideas created by the human brain and the human mind. They cannot create a new idea. It says, you know, the Gutenberg printed the Bible in the, in the middle of the 15th century. The printing press printed as many copies of the Bible as Gutenberg instructed it, but it did not create a single new page. It had no ideas of its own about the Bible. Is it good? Is it bad? How to interpret it? How to interpret this or that? AI can create new ideas, can even write a new Bible. And also, according to him, throughout history, religions have dreamt about having a book written by a superhuman intelligent, by a non-human entity. And according to him, AI is going to be that entity. It's going to be the answer. So look for the new AI Bible shortly. According to the Vigilant Fox, recipients of, this is from June 11, 2023, recipients of Bill Gates' favorite vaccine were found to die at 10 times the rate as unvaccinated children. A Danish study looked at 30 years of records, and they found that girls who received the DTP vaccine were 10 times more likely to die than unvaccinated children. And they were dying not of things that anybody had ever associated with a vaccine, stated RFK Jr. They were dying of anemia and snail fever and malaria and bloody diarrhea and pulmonary respiratory issues like pneumonia. And nobody had ever connected the dot until the Danish scientists came in and actually looked at the data. So we're all safe with the vaccines from Bill Gates. Maybe you saw this story, maybe you didn't, because this is from June 13, 2023. This is a story of a guy who got accused of racism by his own doorbell, and Amazon shut down his smart home. According to his post at the time, he said, On Wednesday, May 31, 2023, I finally regained access to my Amazon account after an unexpected and unwarranted lockout that lasted nearly a week. May 25th is when it started. This wasn't just a simple inconvenience, though. I have a smart home, and my primary means of interfacing with all the devices and automations is through Amazon's Echo device via Alexa. The incident left me with a house full of unresponsive devices, a silent Alexa, and a lot of questions. What happened was there was a package that was delivered to the house on Wednesday, May 24th, Following day, however, he found that his Echo Show had signed out. And he was unable to interact with his smart home devices. So he's trying to figure it all out. He was locked out. He couldn't figure out what's going on. So he called them. The representative said he should have received an email. They claimed that they heard him say something racist. And so without even asking him or any kind of inquiry or anything, they just shut him down. He says he has multiple cameras recording everything on his property. If the driver's claims were accurate, I could have easily verified them with video footage. 
Secondly, most delivery drivers in my area share the same race as me and his family. He doesn't say what he is or what race he is. He reviewed the footage and confirmed that no such comment had been made. In fact, the response was, excuse me, can I help you? The driver who was walking away and wearing headphones must have misinterpreted the message. Nevertheless, by the following day, he was locked out. They did finally reinstate him, but that's how fast you get locked out. And if you have a smart home, they shut down everything. Not sure why anybody would do that. On June 19th, 2023, we have this story of former President Obama. And he was speaking in an interview with former White House Senior Advisor David Axelrod for a conversation on the Axe Files. And he says, Obama says, he suggests digital fingerprints in order to access the Internet. He says the technology is here now. So most immediately, we're going to have all the problems we had with misinformation before. So his suggestion is digital fingerprints. And the need for us, for the general public, I think, to be more discriminating consumers of news and information, the need for us over time develop technologies to create watermarks or digital fingerprints so, so that we know what is true, what is not true. So he's very concerned about misinformation, and the way to get around that is, oh, digital fingerprints. So then you're going to know what's true and know what's not. This is from June 20th, 23. United Nations planning digital ID linked to bank accounts. United Nations is planning to introduce a global ID system that is linked to individual bank accounts. This is a plan that's similar to the system developed by the World Economic Forum. And this is outlined in three new policy briefs from the UN titled A Global Digital Compact, Reforms to the International Financial Architecture, and The Future of Outer Space Governance. <laughs> and that's not a joke. That is true. From the report, digital IDs linked with bank or mobile money accounts can improve the delivery of social protection coverage to serve to better reach eligible beneficiaries. Digital technologies may help reduce leakage, errors, and costs in the design of social protection programs. Of course, it's always about protecting you. It's always about it's going to be convenient. It's going to be so great. And they want to harmonize this with the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. Yeah, it's all tied. All of it's tied. So their big thing is they want digital IDs linked to your bank account. And we've talked about where that goes. One of the other things that is now hitting the forefront, and I'll probably be doing a show about this soon, but I wanted to share this article with you because this is what's coming. In the United States, there's a massive backup. If you want to get your passport or you want to get it renewed, they're canceling flights, left and center delays all over the place. There are places in the world who are saying, don't travel here. We do not want tourists. And they're starting to shut down the tourist industry and the flying industry, and they want you to just stay home. It's bad for the environment. They don't want you going anywhere. They don't want you doing anything. And this is a prime example. This is a propaganda piece from The New Yorker, June 24th, 2023, by Agnes Callard, The Case Against Travel. According to her, it turns us into the worst versions of ourselves while convincing us that we're at our best. She said she, loves to, she used to love to travel. 
But what she found out is that she just became somebody else while she traveled. She wasn't herself. And this is what's happening around the world. We, 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 we travel and we think we're being good citizens. We think we're just being tourists. We're actually being bad people. And we should just stay home. And it's a, it is one of the more wild articles I've ever read about somebody who finds the negative in travel. And she goes through story upon story of people who traveled and they, w they regretted it. They wish they didn't. And, and then again, she gets into, of course, how bad it is for the planet. And it's just much better that you just stay home. Just stay home. And if you stay home, well, maybe this is going to happen to you. Germany moves to roll out vegan surveillance state. This is from June 13, 2023. The German government's SRU Council on the Environment recommends all citizens be limited to a meat equivalent of just two sausages a month. In a segment dubbed The Green Dietary Transformation, German journalist Julian Reichelt presented the craziest yet planned green ban. And Germany's federal minister of agriculture is now moving to force Germans to radically stop meat consumption by limiting meat intake to just 10 grams daily, which is the equivalent to about two burgers a month. And I have several articles on that. Th this, is a <laughs> this is a real thing, and it is titled the green dietary transformation. According to Mr. Reichelt, the German government plans to make meat so expensive that few people can afford it, that children are to be instilled with new, quote, values and pitted against their parents, and that the government will make meat disappear from view everywhere. They want to move it to the back of the store or off the shelves completely. The SRU expert advisors to the German government also recommends eliminating meat from school cafeterias and instilling, quote, new values and norms in children with the aims of further pressuring and shaming families away from meat consumption. And this is the direct quote. If it's communicated in the future that cafeterias are required to follow the quality standards of the German Association of, Nu of Nutrition and it not be mentioned that it's about a reduced amount of meat being offered, then there would possibly be less attack from the media. So they, they know what they're doing. They want meat to not appear at all on menus. And if you wanted something meat, there would be a completely separate menu that would be handed upon request. The SRU Advisory Council has recommended overhauling supermarket shopping carts in a way that it would promote the purchase of vegetables and plant-based food and discourage meat buying. I want to see how that flies in Germany. Maybe we'll have another uprising like they're having in, in the Netherlands. This is something I've been talking about for a long time, probably since we started this, this entire show, podcast, whatever. This comes to us from July 10th, 2023, and it's from the Bank of International Settlements. And I don't know if we've done a deep dive on who the BIS is, but they are on top of the global banks. So we talk a lot about how the the global bankers run the world. Well, the BIS is on top of them. Speaking at a conference of African central banks in Morocco, the IMF managing director says that there needs to be an agreement among central bank digital currency implementations. 
according to them, on a common regulatory framework for digital currencies that will allow global interoperability. Failure to agree on a common platform would create a vacuum that would likely be filled by cryptocurrencies. So they're worried about that. What it really gets down to, though, is they say, quote, legislation may need to be enacted or adjusted to specifically authorize the issuance and distribution of retail CBDCs, changes to central bank charters, statutes, legislation, and other areas related to payments or to the Constitution itself, speaking and talking about the Constitution of the United States. And this is where it all lies down. The Constitution is the only thing currently, and has been for a long time, keeping the globalists at bay. Uh, I'm going to put this, I'm not going to go much into this, I'm going to put it into the show notes, it's something you should read. World War III will be fought with viruses. This is according to Richard Mueller. It was an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. It's fascinating, it's frightening, and you should read it and be prepared. You should definitely be prepared. According to Bitcoin.com, July 11, 2023, New York Federal Reserve and U.S. Bank's complete programmable dollar central bank digital currency test. The New York Federal Reserve and a group of financial institutions, which they don't list all of them, announced the successful conclusion of a proof of concept of the regulated liability network which contemplates the introduction of a dollar-based interbank central bank digital currency the test concluded that using the rln and the proposed cbdc might allow for near real-time dollar payments and cross-border settlements so they're very very close to rolling this thing out it's coming a couple more and we're done this is from july 11th 2023 Gates, the World Health Organization, and the CDC are looking to use peel and stick vaccine patches mailed directly to people's homes. The new vaccine technology using patches instead of needles is being described as, quote, groundbreaking, a game changer, and having the potential to, quote, transform immunization coverage in lower income countries. Backed by the World Health Organization, Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, this vaccine containing microarray patches, it's a VMAP, also known as microarray patches or microneedle patches, have been the subject of dozens of scientific papers in recent years. And according to them, whether it's delivered by needle or a patch, a VMAP is a biological product that atypically manipulates the immune system to provoke strong inflammatory responses that can lead to injury or death for some who receive it. According to them, they say, this can overcome many obstacles and bottlenecks faced by intradermal vaccine delivery, thus maximizing the reach of vaccines to the rem most remote locations to turn vaccines into vaccination. According to UNICEF, VMAPs can increase vaccine coverage by increasing acceptability by caregivers and recipients and administering vaccines more rapidly and easily with minimally trained healthcare workers, or you can just do it yourself. They're just gonna mail it to you. They're gonna mail this thing to you. You're gonna be required to take it. We also know they're working on chips that will already be implemented in it that will 
relay back to them that you have done it or not. And all of this is heading in one direction and it's all coming into focus. And it's, it's all right there. Last story. This I just found yesterday or ran across it. July 10th, 2023 at the current UN summit. The conclusion is, is that AI robots could run the world better than humans. The United Nations sees AI as essential to accomplishing its 17 sustainable development goals because they believe that AI can run the world more, quote, efficiently and autocratically than humans. With AI, enforcement of these sustainable development goals would be, quote, standardized for all and would thoroughly thrive on data. And according to Hanson Robotics, who were presenting this, they say humanoid robots have the potential to lead with a greater level of efficiency and effectiveness than human leaders. We don't have the same biases or emotions that can sometimes cloud decision-making and can process large amounts of data quickly in order to make the best decisions. AI can provide unbiased data while humans can provide the emotional intelligence and creativity to make the best decisions. Together, we can achieve great things. So AI, vaccine technology, CBDCs, getting rid of cars, these are all things that continue to march forward in the news. These are all things that are continuing to be real, getting rid of meat, everything. And it's up to us to recognize that it's out there, to see it for what it is, not be afraid of it, but to prepare for it, to be ready, to be ready to say, no, I'm not doing that, to have food and water and resources and a community and friends that you can rely on in order to say no to these things. No, thank you. I'm not doing that. No, thank you. I'm not signing up for that. No, thank you. I'm not interested in receiving that. No, I'm not giving you this information. No, I'm, I'm not giving you access to my house. I'm not joining up to the Internet of Things. All, all of this, if we all just said no, it will go away. Don't buy the propaganda of this is going to make life convenient. It's going to make life so easy for you. Because it's not. It's all a trap. All of it is a trap. It is a trap to ultimately enslave you. And as Larry Fink from BlackRock says, it is all going to be used as a tool to modify behavior in a certain direction that they want us to go. So anyway, that's it for today. Thanks so much for your time. And I know we went a little long, but I thank you for your patience if you stuck around. Brandon and I will be back on Sunday together. Looking forward to that. In the meantime, I hope you have a great rest of the week. And my name is Big D, and I'm out of here.